Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 21 of Genesis chapter 3. And we're continuing to look at verse 16. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. In our last study, we were looking at the spiritual dimension of this statement that God is making to the woman. And God is taking this occasion or using this opportunity to lay out his gospel program concerning the elect bride of Christ regarding the woman. And again, spiritually, the woman represents everyone that God will save. I will greatly multiply thy sorrow. The word greatly is the same Hebrew word as multiply, and it, it should be, I will multiplying, multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. And in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. And we, we saw in Psalm 139 how God described the forming of David in the womb and how that was a picture of his forming the elect when, in substance, there there was none of them. They, that is, they did not yet exist. Yet they were conceived through the work of Christ, his atoning work in paying for their sins. And we also saw in Galatians 4 how God speaks of those that are born of the flesh and those that are born of promise and and born after the spirit and we know that Jesus said to Nicodemus ye must be born again so god does liken his salvation program to a birth individually each one of us must have been born again we had to have received the spirit of god as god blessed his word to our hearts and created a new heart and a new spirit within us, and that is the first resurrection. It is the restoring of our soul. It is being born again. Our sins are forgiven. We're a new creature in Christ, and so forth. And yet, we're also, each one, a part of the body. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I would encourage anyone to read that chapter and see how God speaks of everyone that becomes saved as being a part of the body, one body, of the Lord Jesus Christ, yet the body has many members. So we're individual parts, and the Lord goes on there to speak of the hand and the foot and the eye, and just as our physical body has various members, yet we're one body. So, too, each one of us, is a member of that one body of Christ. 
And so as God has been sending forth his gospel program over the course of world history, over 13,000 years, actually it was in the year 2011 that his gospel program was completed, which was the 13,000th and 23rd year of earth's history. So as God saved people from the very beginning, uh, like Abel, or as he saved people at other points in history until he saved the last of the elect or the last one to be saved, the last individual whose name was written down in the Lamb's Book of Life, it was as though the members of the body were were coming together. The body was conceived from the foundation of the world, but began to form over time until it was completed. And, you know, uh, a child in the womb, God uses that time to form the baby, uh, to to knit it together, each member, and, and to grow the members until it's formed. This is how uh, birth um, is ideally. Of course, there are some children whose bodies are, are not formed perfectly, physically, and and other children who are born prematurely. We know that. But overall, the general idea is the baby is knitted together. It is formed, fashioned in the womb. And once it's completed, then it is born into the world. And that's the picture that God is using, that he conceived the body of Christ from the foundation of the world. And it was as though they did come into existence because all their sins were paid for and God guaranteed their salvation, obligated himself to save each one. But then again, uh, the world had to be created and and um, history had to unfold and, and God had to send forth his gospel to find and to save and and so forth until the last one. And then it was as though the child was now all together, all together and ready for birth. Now, let's turn to John 16. John 16, where the Lord is speaking of uh, gospel events but but he's relating them to a woman who is in sorrow because she's in travail. And it says in John 16, in verse 20, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. And there we read of God, the Lord Jesus, speaking to the disciples who would be standing in in the stead of all of God's people. And he's telling them they will weep and lament and be sorrowful. And we can tie that in with what's said in Psalm 126, where it says, In verse 5, they that sow in tears shall reap 
enjoy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And in these two verses, the Lord is speaking of sowing in tears, weeping, bearing precious seed. So the the Bible does relate the time of the sending forth of the gospel, the time of the formation of the body of Christ as a time of sorrow. And again, the sending forth of that gospel, it's through the gospel, people hear and become saved. And, and so while that's underway, it is a sorrowful time. And, and here Jesus is addressing that. Ye shall be sorrowful. Again, it says in John 16, 20, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. Now at the time that Christ is speaking this parable, that's really what it is, He's already been born into the world. Jesus has already been born of the woman, spiritually, as Revelation 12 pictured. And naturally, he was already born of the Virgin Mary. So the child that this woman is bearing, that she is in sorrow about, and she's in travail, she has not yet given birth to, cannot be, Christ first coming. It, it cannot be his first coming. Jesus relates the idea of a man being born into the world because at that time there'll be no more sorrow but joy. He relates that to his seeing them again. When he will see them again, then their heart will rejoice and your joy no man taketh from you. So we can tie that in to the end of the world. We can relate what Christ is saying about the woman who sorrows for a period of time. She's in travail and sorrowing uh, because she has to deliver the child. The child has not yet been delivered, but the Lord relates it to his second coming and the final end of all things. And that's the idea with this language back here in Genesis chapter 3. Concerning the woman's sorrow, I will multiply and multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. And isn't it interesting that uh, throughout the whole New Testament era, Jesus said, in the world ye will have tribulation. And there was always tribulation for God's people throughout the whole New Testament church age. And then came great tribulation. that the, the end of the church age and the beginning of great tribulation. And 
God saved um, the first fruits over the course of the 1955 years of the church age. Then he saved the best for last in the last about 17 years of that 23-year Great Tribulation period. He saved a great multitude out of Great Tribulation. Great Tribulation. Look at the language of Matthew 24. Keeping in mind this idea of in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. It says in Matthew 24, in verse 19, And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. Now that's curious that that the Lord makes reference to being with child to giving suck. And we, you know, considering the language that we've been seeing in the Bible regarding childbirth and its connection to God's salvation program. And and then he says, But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake those days shall be shortened. And God did save the elect, the great multitude, during the Great Tribulation. You know, if you look at it uh, in, in a certain way, the salvation plan of God, the first fruits and then the bringing in of the final fruits, the, the completion of his salvation program. And look at it as a woman who uh, is pregnant and and over the 1955 years of the church age, the first fruits were saved. Uh, all those that God saved through the ministry of the churches and congregations of the world, a good number, but not a tremendous number of people. We don't know how many exactly, but but not, um, well, the Lord likens them to 144,000, but that's not the actual number. It's a good number, maybe several million. We don't know. But then comes the the end of the church age and the 23-year Great Tribulation period. The first part, 2300 evening mornings, virtually no one saved, and then the Lord saves a great multitude. From everything we can uh, know, tens of millions of people all over the earth. Uh, many, many more are saved in this short little season of about 17 years than were saved in the previous almost 2,000 years. And, and then God completes his salvation program. The Great Tribulation comes to a close. And can you see it if you look at a woman's pregnancy over the course of nine months? She is beginning to show, and so there's tribulation. You know, there's morning sickness, there's vomiting, and just ill feeling for the woman. And over the developing of the child, over the early months of the pregnancy until it gets to 
the latter stage. And then it intensifies, the tribulation intensifies because she's about to give birth to the child. And so God, in a way, we, we could say, is describing the, the stages of childbirth. There's tribulation followed by great tribulation. And then uh, we read of the great multitude that came out of great tribulation. All those to be saved have been saved. The elect body of Christ that was conceived in the Lord Jesus from the foundation of the world, knitted together and formed and fashioned over the course of uh, the Old Testament, but but not much because relatively few became saved and and then... Uh, the, the child who is that body of the Lord Jesus, comprised of everyone that he would save, begins to really take shape over the New Testament era until the end when he is completed and the child is ready for birth in the sense that now he has come together and been completely formed and it is through great tribulation, through sorrow, much sorrow, because when the gospel goes out, uh, there are many adversaries and many assaults against the word of God as Satan resisted at every possible point. And, and so she conceives in sorrow and brings forth children in sorrow. And we can see how this language would relate to God's salvation program. Okay, going back to Genesis 3, and the last part of verse 16, it says, And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now, we, we just follow right along with our spiritual picture, and it fits right in. As we understand, the woman, the bride of Christ, has a desire to... Her bridegroom, Jesus himself, and he will rule over her. He will rule over thee. And that fits perfectly. We know, uh, and we have to mention, there is that earthly uh, level of meaning. There, There's the moral um, word or law God is giving, and it is a law for the wife. In the home, God has established an order of authority, and and he uh, himself is at the top. It's God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and then the man, then the woman. It's the various levels of authority in this chain of command that God has established, and you can read about that in 1 Corinthians 11. And so the woman in an earthly house is to submit to her husband and the husband is to rule over the woman but but let's take a closer look at these words and and what God is um, saying here that was just sort of a, a, a overview the word desire is uh, a word that's only found three times in the Old Testament. And um, it's found in Genesis 4, in verse 7, uh, regarding Cain 
And we're, we're going to save that because that's a difficult verse to understand. But another place, and the only other place it's found, is in Song of Solomon, chapter 7. Song of Solomon 7, verse 10. And there it says, I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. In the Song of Solomon, God is giving us um, a poem. It's a love story between a man and his bride. And the, the woman is a picture of the elect, and the man is a picture of Christ. And, and so here, I am my beloved's. And this is the woman speaking. The beloved is David. The beloved is the Lord Jesus Christ. And his desire is toward me. Now, this is the reverse of what we're reading in Galatian, where God is speaking to the woman. And he's saying, your desire shall be to your husband, and he shall rule over thee. And and there, the woman's desire is to her husband. Here in Song of Solomon, it is the beloved's desire is toward the woman. And, you know, that, that makes perfect sense because, uh, God has established the marriage relationship for there to be desire from the woman to the husband. And, and just so we don't think that that's the only place there is to be desire shown, God also lets us know in this verse in Song of Solomon that the husband Jesus also has desire to the woman. And, and so there is, uh, this desire and, and this desire is a good thing shown from the woman to her husband and from the husband to the woman. There, there is to, uh, be, uh, be love and, and be desire for each other in marriage. Now, I think we'll understand um, what this desire is pointing to a little bit better when we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and we've gone here before uh, since we've been studying Genesis 3, but, but let's turn there again. It says in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 2, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. And, and then it continues. But here, the Apostle Paul, being moved by God's Spirit, says, I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. This word chaste is the same word that we find in Titus. Uh, Titus 2 
concerning the aged women and what they're to teach the younger women, in verse 5, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. It's also used in 1 Peter chapter 3 concerning the woman who's married to a husband who doesn't obey the word. And God says, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. And then in verse 2, well, they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Chaste conversation. And the, the aged women are to teach the younger women to be chaste. So, yes, this is something that applies um, for women. Uh, it, it, the word chaste is also translated as pure, and it, it really means to be holy, and one is holy or pure or chaste in, in their conduct, in their behavior, in their conversation, when they're following the word of God, when they're obedient to the things that the Bible says. And spiritually, that's what's in view as uh, the Apostle Paul is not speaking of an earthly bride espoused to a husband. He's addressing the spiritual bride that is each one that has become saved. I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. That is, as someone who's a, a true man, a person without guile or, or deceitful heart, and someone who is obedient from the heart and chaste, pure in, in behavior concerning the word of God. They're faithful in their following of God's word, the Bible. And, and not, uh, as he goes on to say, as the serpent beguiled Eve and, and, uh, and then somebody comes with another Jesus and another spirit and another gospel and, and you give heed. No. To be chaste means you have a desire to your husband. Your desire is exclusively to your husband. His desire is exclusively to you. The bride of Christ, Jesus is faithful, isn't he, in all things towards his wife? And the wife is to be faithful to the husband. Her desire is toward him, and and not to another Jesus, not to another spirit, not to another gospel, but her desire is toward him. That's the point. Now, we... Well, we could just load up multiplying verses where God finds fault with Israel or fault with Judah and in turn fault with the church because they loathe their husband and commit fornication and adultery and their desire, therefore, is towards uh, every high place and, and every idol that's set up under every tree and it's not towards their husband. They do not have chaste conversation. They have not single desire towards God alone, but it's for anybody who comes along, any any kind of gospel, any kind 
of uh, spirit that that just uh, shows itself, and and they have desire towards it. Well, that that was the fault of Israel, Samaria, and it was the fault of Judah in the south, and it's the fault of the New Testament church, and God ended his relationship. He divorced Israel of old, and and he brought judgment on the New Testament churches and the congregations. But as far as his elect people are concerned, and they only are part of the bride of Christ, their desire shall be to their husband, and he shall rule over thee. We'll have to look at the last part of that phrase in our next study. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.